0: Okay, so truth be told, I went back and forth about whether or not I should even do a solo episode. And my wife, the fantastic Daisy Lynam, she said, you absolutely should. I definitely love to share stories about things that I've screwed up on and the pitfalls that I've had. And it's really the impetus behind the show is for someone else to share their versions of those same types of stories. Because I think that everyone can really learn from them. And this one's mine, and this is how I got into the dance business. There are people that still ask me, you know, were you born dancing? I'm sure you've been dancing all your life, and I've heard that. And now I'm going to set the record straight. I was not born a dancer, but this is kind of how the dance chapter in my life was born. What happens when you combine business, pop culture, and at least five analogies to ballroom dancing? You Get Off The Floor, a podcast to help you get to that next step in your career or your tango. Here's our host, Chris Lynam. So I guess where we should start is in junior college. So I never went away to school. I really thought that my best bet to eventually becoming an NBA basketball player would be to play at a junior college, then to transfer to a prestigious university, and none of that happened. In fact, I missed the tryouts for the junior college basketball team, and I completely gave up on basketball my first year in junior college, and I started writing for the school newspaper, and I absolutely loved it. Fast forward a couple of years, I've dropped out of college, gotten back into it, went to a different school, I bounced around from job to job and I end up at a different junior college and I finally get my shot playing basketball. Uh, the coach hands me a sheet of paper and he says, if you do all of these things, then you're going to be a great player for me. And it was a training regimen. And so my one of my best friends and I, we did everything on that list. We were running 25 miles a week. We were lifting weights. We were playing all sorts of basketball and my game had never been better. And I'll, I'll never forget the first day of our tryouts and the coach said, we're all going to start by running three miles. And I remember all these guys had these looks on their faces like they were being held at gunpoint and me and my buddy look at each other and we're like, only three miles? And that was just such a cool feeling going into the tryouts. Everything was looking really good. And then the fateful scrimmage takes place and in the middle of a game and I was going up for a dunk and then another guy came underneath me and I was parallel to the ground in the air and uh, and fell and landed on my wrist. And that was the moment that my basketball career pretty much ended. My my injury was actually misdiagnosed, so they told me it was a sprain, it was actually broken, and I was essentially trying to play with a broken wrist for about eight months uh, until I found out that it actually was broken and uh, had to have surgery the whole nine yards. I was actually really excited to have the surgery because it was such a mental screw-with-your-head kind of process to to see your skills rapidly deteriorating and not knowing why. I was just in this chronic pain. And so basketball had been really the identity of choice for me. I'm the tallest guy in as far back as anyone can remember in, in our family. And so I just felt like it was this preordained thing. And I was pretty good. But that was it. After the surgery, I attempted one quick comeback and it just wasn't happening. It was honestly probably one of the lowest points in my life. And I had wrapped my soul around this one activity and then it was eliminated. And I actually told my mom, I, I was having this moment of weakness and I was so upset. And I was like, what's the point of being tall? Like it doesn't even matter. Like anytime I would go to the, the club with my friends, all the girls I wanted to dance with were like five feet tall. It's like the The tall guys curse. And so I felt I'm six foot four. I didn't feel like, you know, that was useful anymore. And then I was sitting in my speech class and one of my really good friends, Brian, he leans over to me and he goes, hey, guess who I'm going out with on Wednesday night? And I was like, who? And he says, Karen. And what I didn't tell you is that Karen was like a working model, like full-fledged, gorgeous, you know. And everybody knew who she was, and and so I was like, whatever. And I don't think that's exactly what I said, but this is a family show. So so he's like, no, watch this. And then he, this is the middle of, of class, and he leans over, and Karen's in the row ahead of me and him and uh and so he's like hey karen and she turns around he goes where are we going on wednesday and then she's like oh we're going swing dancing and there's like a moment in movies where you have this extreme close-up and what i was thinking was i am going to learn the swing dancing and karen will be going swing dancing with me very shortly (laughs) so i needed to know how to swing dance immediately because you know Brian's a great guy, but when it came to just dancing at the clubs, I always felt like I had the edge over him. No classical training on my part whatsoever, but to know that he was able to do it, I was like, well, if he could do it, then I can totally do it. So we fast forward a little bit. I get completely obsessed with swing dancing. Eventually, Karen becomes my regular dance partner, and nothing romantic. We are really close friends and we'd practice before we'd go to this nightclub, the agenda in downtown San Jose. And it was every Wednesday night they had a swing night. It became kind of like the fertile crescent for like the new chapter in my life. It was really the rebirth of my confidence and i i literally walked into that place and it felt like i had walked back and gone back in time i mean it was i can only equate it to marty mcfly going to that high school dance and walking in and seeing everybody dressed the way that they're dressed it felt like a different era the really cool part of it was to see that guys could like ask girls to dance and it didn't mean that you had to like slowly kind of like maneuver your way up and kind of stalk them and then gradually end up dancing with them like at most clubs it was like an actual request where you actually said something to your partner or your potential partner and then they would say yes or no and it didn't didn't mean that you had to date each other just meant that you're going to dance together and I thought that was so cool and it also made me feel dumb for wasting so much time and money going to nightclubs and so I loved that and immediately my confidence was just growing at like a rapid pace and then eventually I met a girl now, this girl was a much better dancer than me. She had been in some music videos as a, uh, as a backup dancer for swing dancing. Um, she was also a swing dance instructor in San Francisco. Not only was I like physically attracted to her, but I was also attracted to the idea of, wow, well, maybe I can become good enough that I'll become her dance partner and uh, Karen had gone away to school, and, and so this everything kind of worked out perfectly. The only problem was that she was still teaching and performing with her current dance partner, who was also her ex-boyfriend. Um, so we were dating, and I was working a really kind of a dead-end job, and uh, and then I saw an ad for uh, Ballroom Dance Instructor and in this training program uh, for Arthur Murray. Now, there was a second ad that I used to always see, and it was for another dance studio. And so I used to see that ad all the time and I never had the courage to contact them. And I saw this, this ad for Arthur Murray in the newspaper, by the way, and it just stood out to me because I hadn't seen them seen this advertisement before. And so I finally decided I was just going to give them a call. But before I did that, I told my girlfriend at the time what I was going to do. And so I remember having this conversation with her. I said to her, I said, hey, guess what? I'm going to apply to work at Arthur Murray. And she doesn't even look at me and she just says as what like shocked and of course my feelings are immediately a little deflated and kind of hurt and and so I try to prop myself back up and I'm trying to like keep myself from getting emotional or anything and so I just said you know as the freaking janitor all right no as a dance teacher and then like stone cold response she says you'll never make it as a dance instructor And she said, the first thing is that it's too difficult. And the second thing is that you're only doing it because I'm a dance instructor. So you won't be any good at that. And for me, like looking back on that, it's probably, it was the first real kind of like punch in the gut um, to this new identity that had been formed. But when I look back on it, and if you think about like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, there's all these, these moments that are chronicled through that process where, the hero has to be challenged in some way. And, and some of these small challenges like kind of build up the hero's skill set and they develop them to a point where they're ready to take on even bigger challenges. And I realized looking back on that, that this was absolutely that. And so because she told me that, and I'm really wired for if someone tells me that I can't do something, then I'm gonna just rub it in their face. And, uh, and so sure enough, she said that to me and I just internalized it. And then I just said to myself, one day you will see that I can do this. So go back home. And with all of that motivation, I take the initiative and I call both of these dance studios. And I had written down the phone number on a slip of paper. And I still kept the slip of paper. Uh, and I, I wish I could find it th- today, but I, I don't know where it is now. Um, but I wrote the numbers to both of these dance studios. And I called the first one. And I am just like primed and ready to go. Like I'm going to make these phone calls the way that, you know, a team comes out of the locker room before like a really big game. Like you're just ready to punch something, you know. And uh, and so I make these phone calls and I call the first place. And literally the phone call goes like this. Hey, I am calling about your ad in the newspaper about dance instructors. And the lady says to me, how tall are you? And I'm not really familiar with any of the dance industry at all. So I'm just totally new to it. And so I told her I'm six foot four. And then she says to me, we're not hiring. And I'm talking to, and I said, well, I mean, I'm, I've got some swing experience. And then, and then I realized that I'm talking to a dial tone. Like she hung up on me and I'm like, okay. And fortunately, I guess, because I was so greased up to prove this girl wrong that that didn't sway me. And so I flipped the piece of paper over and I call Arthur Murray and they said, yes, we would love to meet you. Um, why don't you come down for an interview? And so I said, when? They said, why don't you come tonight? And so I'm thinking, okay. And so I get myself together. I had just um, gone to a big uh, swing dance event where um, it was that you had to you had to wear like, you know, shirt and tie. And so it was like the first Sets of shirts and ties that I had ever purchased since probably my <laughs> like eighth grade graduation, or 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 maybe for like a basketball game, an away game for uh, for varsity basketball in high school. And so I'm feeling really good about myself because I own a dress shirt and a, a pair of slacks that aren't Z Cavaricis. So I, I get in my car and I, uh, I drive across town. I'm driving my old 68 Mustang. It's pretty awesome. And I get across town and then I pull into the parking lot and I look into the studio and then I turn my lights off, but my car is still running. And I look in and there's this huge window. If you ever go by Arthur Murray in San Jose, it's on De Anza Boulevard. There's this really, really big window. And then I just see all these people dancing and it's dark outside. And so, um, but I'm just sitting in my car and I'm looking in the window and i am seeing the people dancing and I'm realizing that there's no, the front desk is not at the front of the, of the studio. The front desk is beyond the dance floor. And, if you've ever had to walk into anything important, you've had to walk to talk to your boss or you know you're you're walking into some big sales presentation, whatever the the geography is between you and that place that you're going, sometimes it can feel a little bit like hot lava or any sequence of an Indian Jones movie, but that's kind of how it felt I and I immediately started looking at that dance floor from the car and then I started to now rationalize to myself all of these things, you know, those moments where you start to tell yourself stuff and, and you start to talk yourself out of something and the sales pitch to talk yourself out of it starts to, to win and kind of wins over the other sales pitch to talk you into it. And that was essentially it. I started saying to myself stuff like, you know, Yeah, they probably didn't mean tonight, tonight. They probably meant like tomorrow night, tonight. (laughs) Just dumb stuff. And so I end up putting my car in reverse. I put my headlights back on and I drive home. Now, I lived in East San Jose and Arthur Murray, San Jose is actually in Cupertino. And so if you're familiar with San Jose, it's about like a 15, 20 minute drive. And in an old Mustang, it's not like, you know, I think it was, it only has three gears. And so it wasn't like I was doing 80 on the way over there. So it probably took me a good 20, 25 minutes to get there. And the entire way home, i I know immediately it was the wrong decision. (laughs) If you think about every moment from whether it was high school or something dumb that you said at work or anything where you're just saying to yourself, stupid, 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 like that was my entire drive home and i'm i'm burning on this fuel from the fact that you know here i was mentally committed myself to proving this the swing dancing girl wrong and and here i am now and i've already bailed out of this thing that i love so much and i'm getting a chance to maybe do something more with it i get home and uh and i don't even know what time it is but i remember walking directly into our guest bathroom downstairs and i i shut the door i lock it and i look at myself in the mirror and it was straight out of the movies and i i slap myself in the face like really hard slap myself in the face and i'm scream at the top of my lungs you're better than this and my mom's like Christopher, are you okay? You know, I'm like, leave me alone, mom. Like what every 22 year old says when they're still living at at home. And I was just furious with myself. And some way, somehow the next day I just got dressed and then I drove to the studio. And it's funny because it was daytime and you know, sometimes you watch a scary movie at night and it's scarier than it should be. And then you watch it in the daytime, it's not as scary. And so um, maybe it was that, but I drove over there And I got there and looking back on this now, I realized I got there and before work hours and I was really fortunate that somebody was there, but I, I walked right in. I didn't even hesitate. And one of the managers was there and his name is Mark and Mark sat me down. He immediately interviewed me on the spot with no confirmed appointment um, before work hours and we chatted for a little bit. And he said, we're going to put you into our training program. If someone was laying odds in Las Vegas on where I would end up going with my career based on all that information, then 98% of the odds makers would have had me doing something completely different. And I just think that for some reason, a strange, wonderful reason, the 2% chance of me ending up at that interview just took over. So I signed my contract April 1st of 1999 at Arthur Murray Dance Studio. And there's a, a section in Campbell's Hero's Journey called Refusal of the Call. And in my case, it was that I had been a career and collegiate escape artist, that I would start something and I would abandon it. And I never really decided to, to land my anchor or to drop anchor um, any place. So sticking with that tone, I signed my contract and immediately asked the franchisee, is it okay if I move away at the end of the summer and go to a different arts and Mary dance studio or transfer? And looking back on that, I can't believe that she said yes. In our case today, when we have people, we're really looking for, for people that we can develop into long-term employees that are career-minded. And, um, and I was immediately asking to leave In fact, I told my supervisor that this was just going to be a summer job for me, that I was doing this to research uh, a screenwriting project that I was interested in writing. And I was really there just to absorb all the dance information. And this is me going in motivated still by that conversation with the swing girl who told me that I'd never be able to do it. My goal was to prove her wrong on the dance floor. Little did I know that fate had something different planned for me. So I started teaching, like any kid. If you've ever had your parents and seen what they did, there's two responses. Either you say, "Gosh, my dad is a is a doctor, my dad is a construction worker, or my mom is a is a painter, and I'm gonna I want to do that. I'm I I'm inspired by that." And then you have the other side of the coin, which was me and probably maybe you, where you see what your parents do and you decide that you never want to do that. And I was one of those kids. So my mom and everyone on my mom's side of the family, they're all teachers. And I remember saying to my mom, I will never be a teacher. And just like any romantic comedy, at the beginning of the movie, the person that hates their neighbor, they say, you will never catch me holding hands with that person. And by the end of the movie, they're married. That was essentially it. Uh, Funny side note, so while I'm teaching... I'm really getting the hang of it. I'm actually, I really enjoy just the idea of of assembling information. And then and then delivering it. And, you know, part of me always felt like I could be a stand-up comedian at some point. And so I always felt like this was like my set, like this was my show. And so I would I'd be able to infuse my sense of humor, be able to now infuse my my love of what I was what I was doing. And um, but I'm a super sarcastic person. To give you an idea of of just the tone, I remember my teaching a class. There's that same big window that I had looked through when I was still contemplating walking in or not, and I'm teaching in front of that window and that's kind of a cool metamorphosis and then these two people are looking through the window and I see all those the students are looking over my shoulder and the window is right behind me and I turn around and I say oh my gosh and they're looking through the window as my mom and my grandmother both teachers and this is their first time seeing me in action and I remember uh, this is so funny because I I told everybody I said you guys, This is a really big treat. That's my mom and my grandma. Now, what I didn't tell you was that anytime anybody would stop and look through the window, I would say that it was a relative of mine and it could be just anybody. It could be like, you know, a little Korean man going to the dentist down the the strip and uh, looking through the window and say, hey guys, I just want to let you know, that's my dad, he's just coming to check up on me. And so people would laugh and that was like my go-to joke. Well, this time I said, that's my mom and my grandma and it really was my mom and my grandma And everyone stopped and they went, yeah, right. And so there's the payback for being sarcastic and uh, using that joke uh, ad nauseum. But that was such a great moment. And my mom and my grandma, I walked them in, then people started to realize this might be true. And uh, they sat down and they watched me teach. And uh, that validation meant so much to me. And so, bit by bit, I'm falling in love with teaching. It really is like that romantic comedy. I wasn't expecting it, I was thinking that I was going to get one thing. I was really starting this path for selfish reasons. When I look back on it, it was selfish because I was trying to just better my skills. And what I didn't realize what was really the calling was to try and better other people. So there's this point in a hero's journey, and it's called apotheosis. And this is the point where if you think about like the Matrix, if you think about uh, Star Wars, if you think about that moment where after all the training, the hero comes to this realization. And so in the Matrix, Neo realizes that he's the one. And all these bullets that are coming towards him, he holds his hand out and they just stop. And he realizes that he controls this universe. Well, after a couple of years, guess who I run into? That's right. It's a swing dancing girl. So I'm on my way to work. We're now probably somewhere in the, in the summer of 2001. And not only have I fallen in love with teaching, not only have I refused the idea of this just being a summer job, I've also just begun competing with my dance partner, who would eventually become my wife, Daisy. I'm fortunate enough to, to have won some awards, and I'm really devoting myself. In fact, I I started to just imagine that old story of the Vikings, where the Vikings would land someplace that they wanted to conquer, and they would burn their boats so nobody could retreat. And so I decided that I was going to give Arthur Murray that same treatment. I decided I was going to burn the boats I was going to stop becoming the escape artist. I was going to stop myself from doing it in whatever way possible and uh, and then see what would happen from a career standpoint if I dove in 100 percent, just like I did with basketball. It was probably the only other thing I was so fully committed to. And so I decided I was going to do the same thing and it really paid off. Imagine that. And so one day, I'm on my way to work. I now have worked way up to have my own apartment. Um, Why I shouldn't say my own apartment. I I've worked hard enough to the point where I've got a room in an apartment. I had the master bedroom, but the master bedroom in something one shade above a crack house isn't much to brag about. But it, it meant a lot to me. And so I'm working really hard. I'm on my way to work, driving my old '68 Mustang, and I hear this horn honking and I look over and it's the girl it's the first time I have seen her and it takes me a second to register who she is and she has her window down and so I awkwardly am rolling down this manual window roller downer thing on an old car so she yells over to me oh my gosh how are you and we're going back and forth and she says where are you going right now and I said I'm going to work and she says I'll follow you Now, I should preface by saying I had fantasized about the possibility of somehow running into this girl. And I thought in my mind, I would run into her at like a nightclub and I'd be out there dancing and she would see that I was really good. She'd walk up and she'd ask me to dance and then I'd say, no, thank you. I'm here with my girlfriend. But this was so much different. So she says, I'll follow you. And immediately in my mind, a completely new fantasy starts to pop up. One where she actually sees... Where I work, and she sees that I'm still working there, and uh, and so now I'm thinking this could possibly happen. So the first domino kind of falls in that fantasy scenario, and so she says, "I'll follow you." So she follows me to Arthur Murray San Jose. We you know go down to Deanza Boulevard. We pull into the parking lot, and it's in a strip mall, so you don't necessarily know exactly where you're driving to when you park there. And I park in the back parking lot, and then we resume this conversation and she's just, you know, how have you been? And there's nothing really specific, so I'm not really letting on what I'm doing. I'm I'm really kind of like saving this ace in the hole for the uh, the most opportune moment. So I didn't come right out and say I'm a dance teacher in your face you know i just let it kind of played it very very cool the way that you would talk to any ex that you run into you're not just going to immediately gush and divulge a bunch of information and so we're taking the conversation through a comfortable place and then i said to her you know i really should get inside i I don't want to be late for work and now domino two falls and she says oh my gosh i forgot let me see where you work (laughs) And now in my mind, I'm thinking, I cannot believe that this is happening. And so I'm trying to keep my cool. It's like walking somebody into a surprise party and it's working to perfection. And that's exactly what's going on. So she's walking behind me. And there's, I'll never forget the sound of the door that when it opens, it'd make this little ding sound. And I open the door and there's the ding. And I kind of hold it open for her, but I'm definitely walking ahead of her. And then I hear just her footsteps slow down behind me. And I turn around to her and I'm trying to play it super cool. And I said, come on in. And she's falling behind me. And now dominoes are just falling and falling and falling and falling. And this unbelievable climactic moment this closure of this circle uh, is is starting to take shape. So we walk up to the front desk and this is where now there's some bonus things that started happening. It would be like if Neo found out he was the one and also he found out that he just inherited the fortune that Bruce Wayne inherited from his father. (laughs) So I get up to the front desk and I look and write on the wall, by where I'm standing, there's an award on there that has my name on it for top teacher, and they literally had just put it up from a banquet that we had been to. And I don't even know if she saw the award, but it was just one of those like perfect bonus sort of moments. And uh, and then. We start chatting, and now the tone of the conversation is way different. She doesn't come right out and apologize, and I definitely don't think that she she owed me an apology because that was just some offhand remark, and I think that this is just a great testament to what we can do With the power of words and how sometimes you might cast something aside and somebody else might keep it and bury it and plant a tree out of it. And for me, that tree was very mature. Like it had grown and I had gone back to that tree and I had ingested the fruit of those words over a long period of time. And what was so interesting is by this point, I was no longer fueled by the negative fruit from that tree. I had seen what I was really designed to do, and that was to help other people. I had been able to help people reconnect. I had been able to help people find new sources of confidence that they never realized they had. I was able to help some young kids to be able to develop a skill that would last them a lifetime. And all of those things far outweighed just that selfish need to become a dancer, Better than that girl. So, in an effort to probably just save face, she says, "Whoa, that's so cool! Hey, do you guys teach Lindy Hop or Shag or Balboa? These are all different kind of versions of swing." She's like, "I was been thinking about like brushing up on some skills." And with perfect sitcom timing, we're talking like Kramer running into Jerry's apartment. My coworker Monique walks by and says these words: "Oh, you're talking to the wrong person. He's only the swing king." and at that point All the bullets that were coming towards me hit the ground. The proton torpedo magically just goes right into that one little chamber and the Death Star explodes. And I don't even know what happened after that. To be honest with you, I think we just said goodbye. It was the first time I had seen her since that conversation. It was the last time I've seen her since. And it really closed out a circle for me. And I wasn't seeking that closure. I fantasized about that closure, but I never imagined that how it actually played out would far exceed what even my wildest dreams had imagined. If you go back to Luke Skywalker, the fact that he blows up the Death Star and is on the verge of becoming a Jedi, it would be hilarious if some supervisor in the Rebel Squadron said, you know, kid, I think that you have a shot with our squadron. You know, I think that really that closure for him to do what he did was to validate the path that he was on. And I absolutely believe that the same thing, maybe not to the same degree, but I absolutely believe that 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 closure took place and it was to prove to me that I was doing the right thing. I think that when you're on a process, when you do the Viking thing, when you burn the boats, when you're not a career or hobby or relationship escape artist, you sign yourself up for some of these wonderful things that can take place. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be some trials and tribulations. I mean, if you go back through to the hero's journey, there's sections that just detail that. There's a there's a thing called the refusal of the call. If you think back to Star Wars, think about what would have happened if Luke had actually convinced Obi-Wan Kenobi that he wasn't not going to leave Tatooine. It took his aunt and uncle being blown up by the stormtroopers for him to take action and to accept the call. For me, I think it was that conversation where my confidence got blown up by that swing dancing girl for me to accept the call. You know, for you, it might be that you just got laid off from a job that maybe you aren't designed to do. And then that becomes the reason why you accept the call to become an entrepreneur, that you accept the call to, to pursue a passion that you've always had, but it's going to probably be born in some type of adversity. First off, full disclaimer, I should tell you that if you heard the audio change halfway through, that's because this episode was recorded over multiple days because it was so hard to do. Oh my gosh, editing and listening to my own story has been a rite of passage in and of itself. So thank you for getting through it. I hope that you learned something from it. If anything, I hope that you learned that even if you get some negative feedback, ultimately you decide what to do with that. I think that progress comes in weird and sometimes painful packaging. And in my case, it took somebody challenging me and telling me that I wouldn't be any good to kind of shake me loose of this comfort zone, cruise control that I had been stuck in. And I'm so thankful for that. Speaking of being thankful, I can't finish this episode without thanking my wife. She took a risk being my dance partner. She became my business partner. She became my wife in that order. And she also encouraged me to do this episode to share my story. And I'm really eternally grateful for that. I'm also very, very grateful, obviously for my family, for my best friends, for all the support that they've shown me, for my Arthur Murray family the current Arthur Murray family but also the Arthur Murray family that first welcomed me through the door in Arthur Murray San Jose Bobby Juan Carrie Christina my training class sister and everybody else I just am so grateful for all of the wonderful times that we had together there'll be plenty of stories to come about those times I hope that you're enjoying this podcast I am really having a great time doing it and I hope that you're getting some value out of it if you enjoy it and if you think that this is for you please hit the subscribe button on iTunes, on SoundCloud. And thank you again for joining me on this very special episode of Off the Floor.